welcome to the South American Football Show on the World Football Index. With me today to discuss this week's Copa Libertadores action as we reach the halfway point of the group stage is Austin and Simon. I'll come to Austin first. How are you doing? I'm doing well, Adam. It's amazing that we've hit the halfway point of the Libertadores, as we'll kind of get into on this podcast. It almost feels like it hasn't really kicked into full gear yet. Uh, but another another week, a lot of action to break down. Uh, looking forward to getting into it. Indeed. And also, Simon, there in Colombia. How's Colombia and how are you? I'm good. I'm, I'm very well. Uh, yeah, happy uh, with the results this week. And, and Austin, as Austin says, it kind of feels like the real drama is the teams trying to avoid elimination at this stage and keep themselves in contention. Uh, rather than those teams really making a name for themselves. But we'll get into it this episode. Uh, it's it's an interesting point for the Libertadores, and it's a lot of make-or-break games coming up. Okay, well, first we're going to rewind back to last week, uh, where Palmeiras took on Boca in Austin. You saw this one, so what did you make of Palmeiras' uh, performance? I thought Palmeiras were fine in this match. Uh, a draw was a fair result on the run of play, uh, but the way that the match unfolded, I think Palmeiras will feel as though they probably should have had all three points here, uh, even though the draw was definitely the fair result. I didn't think either team was demonstrably better than the others. Um, Palmeiras were fine in the midfield. Boca Juniors were, were solid as a, as a visiting side, kind of content to sit back a little bit in this match. Um, not a ton of chances in the first half of this fixture. Uh, and then right at the end, Palmeiras made a substitution in the 80th minute. They brought on Alejandro Guerra, took off the defensive midfielder, Bruno Hiki. And I thought Guerra played really well for Palmeiras. Uh, of course, he was one of the best players in this competition in 2016 with Atletico Nacional when they won. And he came off the bench for Palmeiras and, and helped in the build-up to the goal scored by Cano. Right on the 90th minute, Palmeiras took the 1-0 lead. Uh, and it felt like, okay, they're going to sneak away with all three points, a lot like they did at many points in last year's Libertadores, even though they probably didn't deserve all three of them. Uh, and then Palmeiras' shaky backline struck again. An error from Antonio Carlos uh, let Pavon cut in on the wing uh, and played across for Tevez, whose shot actually hit the crossbar, went down, and then hit the crossbar again before crossing the goal line. That came in the second minute of added time. Tevez had come off the bench after he had been dealing with an injury for Boca. Snatched the late goal, the equalizer, and that left things at 1-1 at the Allianz Parque. Again, a fair result. Not a result that Palmeiras should be too disappointed in in the grand scheme of things. Uh, but the way the match played out, certainly a missed opportunity for the big Brazilian side who probably could have had all three points. And had they picked up those extra two points, would be looking really good atop Group 8. Instead, their lead is just two points over Boca Juniors and four points over Junior, as we'll get to when we break down that match with Alianza Lima. Palmeiras still not really clicking on all cylinders. They started the year really well and looked really strong at points. They started the Libertadores really well with that 3-0 away win against Junior. Uh, but the past couple of matches, both in the State League, then in the Libertadores, uh, and then in their opener in the Brasile down against Botafogo, just haven't been at the races as much as they should be. Lucas Lima's level has dropped since he started so well. Uh, Miguel Borja is still playing well. Uh, he did not have a good game in this one against Boca Juniors. So a disappointing result. Uh, but I still think both of these teams should be favored to come out of Group 8. Uh, and there will be a lot of expectation in the return match between these two at La Bomaneta next week. Uh, if Palmeiras could even just get a point from that match or, or go in and win, then I think they should win this group. If Boca win... 
then they might be the favorites to walk out as winners of Group 8. But regardless of that, I think these two teams are the teams that are going to come out of this group, as we kind of expected going into it. Yeah, Commonwealth picked this match out as a bit of a showcase game by the looks of it. I'm not sure it really lived up to the hype as such, but this year I think we are struggling for entertainment a bit in the competition. I, I, you know, l- last night on Twitter, on Thursday night on Twitter, I, I, I put out a tweet where I'd worked out the goal average per game at this point of the group stage in the Libertadores this year compared to previous years. And it's... It's, it's it's amazing how few goals we've had in the competition so far this year. You know, we're we're actually averaging under two goals a game, which is is very unusual for for South America's most prestigious competition now, Austin. Yeah, it is. And it, there haven't been as many of those kind of moments where you've had those really good matches that go back and forth with both teams kind of taking big swings at each other. I think some of that is the bigger teams are playing it pretty safe so far in this competition, trying to make sure they get out of the groups. Uh, and some of the smaller teams just aren't really that good. There, there's really no way around that. Um, if you look at it from the Brazilian perspective, you know, Grêmio aren't terribly focused on Libertadores at this point, uh, considering the group draw that they've gotten. Flamengo are struggling to find their form. Corinthians have never really been an impressive side. Uh, Palmeiras haven't quite lived up to all the talent that they have. And so, yeah, I think that's just kind of the question of a lot of these teams just haven't been as good as, as you'd maybe expect them to be when you look at it on paper. But as Simon said, you know, when you look at the group tables as they are, we've got some big matches coming up in the next couple of weeks. And, and I would think that some of those will kind of start to live up to the expectation. And we may be getting off to a slow start, but I'm pretty sure we'll, we'll get our Libertadores back here in the next few weeks. Simon, do you have any thoughts and theories why, um, why we're struggling for goals this year? Yeah, well, I think um, that can be a reflection somewhat of the, the the more you know i think this year the brazilian teams for example haven't disappointed me some haven't let me down um obviously there's been some big disappointing results as we'll come to one today but i think they're playing generally decent football and i think also you know that is also partly a reflection that perhaps some of the the the, the smaller nations are, are maybe a bit more competitive a bit more organized obviously there's been some big results here and there but I think so far it's been intriguing and I think things have been building nicely. Obviously, we, we love to see some goals and we love to see some uh, some high scoring games. But, you know, I think there's there's some something to say about some tighter, tighter fixtures and some more balance. And, and a lot of the groups, as you'll see, you know, there's not many teams who are completely out of it. So, you know, while we may be lacking a bit of the quality at the very top, aside for one or two teams, uh, I think there's a, a decent balance and a bit of... Uh, depth in some of the some of the groups which is which is good to see yeah and adam just bouncing off of that at this point halfway through the group stage with three matches played in every group only one team is 100 percent. that's libertad of paraguay and only one team has yet to pick up a point that's managas of venezuela so other than that everybody else has at least picked up a point somewhere along the way so maybe it is that these teams are just more balanced at some points and that has uh, kept from some of those you know balloon scorelines that sometimes you see we haven't seen a ton of those although we do have a couple of them this week i don't know just a theory yeah it's going to be interesting to see if the pattern continues anyway one game which did have goals um in this past week was defensor sporting uh who um uh, against uh, monegas uh defensor won this one three one uh this was a 
excellent result for the Uruguayans and, and keeps them within a shout of maybe getting out this group, no, Austin? Yeah, this was the result they needed. Um, if they were to have a chance to get out of this group, they probably need to pick up all six points in this double that they have with Monagas. The way that the Libertadores works, the team that you play third is also the team that you play fourth. Um, so for Defensor Sporting, you know, they've already played Gremio and Cerro Porteño, and so now they get the chance to play Monagas twice. Pick up six points there and maybe see what happened. Uh, Benavidez, uh, a young player who I know Tom Robinson, who's often on these podcasts, really likes. Scored both of the goals for Defensor Sporting in this match. I thought they played pretty well, created some good chances, finished it off with a penalty. Uh, Monagas got one back to tie it up at one in the 64th minute. Uh, a nice finish from Vogliotti in the box. But then as is unfortunately kind of been the case for them in this tournament, they didn't defend from there and within a minute had gone behind again thanks to the second goal from Benavidez. A good result for Defensor Sporting. Um, Monagas, as I just said, they're the only team in this competition who has yet to pick up a point. This was actually their first goal in the group stage. Uh, they've conceded nine. They're going to be out of it. They've been out of it. They'll continue to be out of it. Now is just the question of if they can pick off a point against somebody, they can change the complexion of this group. We'll get on to Cerro Porteño, Gremio in a minute. But yeah, Defensor Sporting are, are not out of this by any means. Um, the win against Monagas, coupled with the fact that they, they got a draw against Gremio at home. They'll probably need to pick up a point away to Gremio to have a chance, but they've given themselves that chance with this performance, and if they can back it up in their next match, who knows? Anything can happen down the stretch in this competition. Another game on Tuesday night saw Cerro Porteño uh, defend their so far unbeaten record at, at their new home stadium. Um, against the reigning Copa Libertadores champions Gremio. This game finished goalless. It, it, it wasn't a terrible match by, by any means. Uh, quite an even game. Both sides had chances to win it. Austin, you saw more, more than this than me, so I'll let you tell the story. Yeah, this is what we've seen from Gremio so far in the Copa Libertadores. Not yet on the form that they showed last year. They put four past Monagas, but all of those came in the second half in their only win. Two road points for them, a 1-1 against Defensor Sporting, and now a 0-0 against Cerro Porteño. I'm not worried about Gremio getting out of this group. They might not win it. But again, they're just not quite clicking at the rate that we saw last year. No Luan in the starting lineup for them in this match. I think that played a role. Artur, who finished last year injured and then started this year injured as well, hasn't quite gotten to that form that had Barcelona so interested in and had made Barcelona make the investment that they did. But I think that's coming for Gremio. This is a good result for them. Um, they'll fancy their chances to beat Cerro Porteño back home when these two teams return uh, in the next fixture. And I think once that happens, then Gremio will, will view themselves as favorites to still win this group. But give Cerro Porteño a lot of credit. You know, they took care of business against Defensor Sporting and Managas to, to get on six points. And then, as you said, Adam, they played well. They're, you know, they're unbeaten at home this year uh, in all competitions. That's a good result for them. Uh, they can absolutely, should absolutely, I should say, get out of this group. Uh, Silva with a couple of big saves again in goal for them. Uh, the few chances that Gremio did create. Uh, a solid performance, I think, from both of these sides. I don't think either of them will be too disappointed about the result. Uh, and both of them will feel that they should be the teams that should come through this group, despite what Defensor Sporting did against Monagas. Yeah, I'm just on Monagas, actually. Because um, I don't know if you remember uh, when... Uh, at the start of the competition, 
when we did the previews uh, for the Copa Libertadores, um, I, was, I, I was just reminding myself of what our Venezuelan expert Nick Carter wrote about that. And, and I remember telling you guys I have serious concerns about Monagas because they, although they finished grand champions of Venezuela last year, it, it was the fact that it, that was via the playoffs. But in the actual league system, they were 13 points off the, the best team in the league, Cara Bobo. Um, so, and, and then if you add things like they lost a couple of their better players and stuff like that, it's perhaps no surprise, uh, just how much they struggled. Um, I just thought I'd add that in there. Yeah. And, and the thing about them, Adam, and, and we've seen this in a couple of the other groups, we saw it with Alianza Lima in group eight. Look, they're not going to get out of this group. But the fact that they could still potentially pick up a point somewhere could absolutely change the complexion of this group. You know, all of these teams will expect to get six points from the two matches against Monagas, but if one of them doesn't, that could end up being the difference of who goes through and who goes out. So, yes, Monagas have been very poor. They've only scored one goal. They've conceded nine. They've yet to pick up a point. But if they do pick up that point, it could completely change the way this group looks at the end. Indeed. Um, That's group one out of the way. Um... In Group 7, uh, Millionarios took on Lara Venezuela, another Venezuelan team. And it, once again, it was, a, it was a bad away day for the Venezuelans with the Colombians running out 4-0 winners. Um, Simon, Millionarios have had a sluggish start to the Libertadores, I think it's fair to say. But this is perhaps just the tonic they needed, no? Yeah, absolutely. Um, a good day all round for Millonarios. Uh, the coach Russo was back in the dugout. He had uh, cancer, uh, bladder cancer, um, and then as he was recovering, um, he then picked up a an infection in the hospital and was was away for for another period. So you know, a lot of positive feeling around his return to to the side and to the dugout. Um, and this was a, a good night all round for Millonarios. You know, I, I my concern as we came into the tournament was that, you know, they were a solid team. They didn't do a lot wrong, but they also didn't do all that much exceptional. You know, everyone was pretty good. Everyone does their job, but they kind of lacked a bit of invention. And I think in this game, again, I think going up against Lada at home, they would have expected to win. And perhaps even if they'd continued with their more conservative approach. They, they may still have edged the edge the victory, but uh, all round a very, very good night for Millonarios. You know, I think one of the key differences, they had a bit more width. Sometimes they have, they pack the midfield with, you know, solid ball playing midfielders. And, and sometimes it's because they want to incorporate uh, Ovalada up front and give them uh, an extra focal point in the attack. But this time they went for a kind of a more 4-3-3, four, four, three, three, getting more width from the, the, the wide forwards. Um, and it worked out well. Uh, Quinone is on the left wing, had a very, very good game. Uh, Iron Del Valle, the, the striker, who's, who's been one of the top goal scorers in Colombian football regularly over the last four or five seasons. And, and that's very impressive. Often in Colombia, you have a guy who pops up for one year, scores 20 or goals, and then will disappear completely for the next couple of years and then pop up again. But he's been consistently one of the better forwards. And he scored three good goals in this game. The first one, uh, a cross into the near post, Kind of a strange connection on the ball and it, and it bobbled over the keeper and spun in off the far post. But again, very sharp run to the near post to, to get ahead of the defender. Uh, the second was a long ball, which he volleyed over the goalkeeper's head first time. You know, a decent finish. The goalkeeper kind of let gave him the option, but perfect. 
properly executed. The third was a, a really nice goal from Quinones from, from distance, pinging off the crossbar and into the top of the net. Really, really nice finish. And then as Lada tried to get something from the game later on or, you know, try and get something, get a goal on the on the scoreboard for themselves, Midianarios broke away. Uh, Kevin Salazar, a 20-year-old uh, a forward, broke away, beat the, beat the offside trap, squared it to Del Valle, who tapped into an open net. So... All round, very, very positive for Mijanadios. Obviously, when they looked at the fixtures, this will be the one where they would have expected to get, hopefully, three points at home. But they, they did the job very nicely. Uh, a lot of positivity. Um, so, yeah, you know, I think Mijanadios have quality. They're a solid team. They, they they do a lot of things right. Lacking a bit, of, a bit of invention, a bit of the X factor, if you will. But by playing a bit more width and have a bit more pace and a bit more, uh, you know, movement up front as they did in this game, you know, it'll be tricky to see if they can do that against stronger opposition, if, if they'll, that'll leave them a bit exposed in the middle. But all in all, very good performance, uh, 4-1, 4-0 uh, win. So they'll be very, very happy with this important win. Okay, moving on uh, to Wednesday night's action where the strongest suffered a... Uh... 2-1 defeat at home to Atletico Tucumán. Now, I think on the last pod, Ipat wrote off Tucumán, but with three remarkable goals in this game, um, two for them and one for Bolivians, uh, and remarkable goals in different senses, that is, this is a huge victory for the Argentines, no, Austin, who haul themselves back into contention with this result. Absolutely. Uh, Tucumán needed three points to get back in this group, and they got it. And it, it's not just a remarkable result. Adam, it's a historic result. Uh, this stat comes from Joshua Law on Twitter, um, an, an Englishman who lives in Sao Paulo in Brazil. Uh, the win for Tucumán, they became the first Argentine team to win in La Paz since 1970 and the first to beat the strongest away since 1965. So that's nearly 40 plus, nearly 50 years of history made by Tucumán on the night. Um, and it came in very La Paz fashion, I think you could say. Romat, a defender, kind of marauded forward in the first 15 minutes. And, and as one is wont to do from 40 yards out, and La Paz just took a crack and saw it go in to put them up 1-0. A dream start for Tucumán. Taking the advice of this podcast. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, he did exactly what the World Football Index always wants you to do in La Paz. Just hit it and see what happens. And he did, and it went in, and that put uh, Tucumán up 1-0. From there, the strongest got one back, a well-worked set piece. Uh, Ibarguen, the Colombian, ended up putting it in to not this match at one. Uh, at that point, uh, not a great result for either of these sides, to be honest with you. A point probably wouldn't have been enough for Tucumán. They would have been alive, but they wouldn't have been feeling very good about it. That goal that um, the strongest scored for Ibargin, he scored it with, with his back. Though, yeah. didn't he? Yeah, that was yeah. a crazy thing about it, if I remember right. Yeah, the goal uh, kind of cross came in, got volleyed back, and then Ibarguen kind of backed it into the back of the net. Um, sure, okay, yeah, it's La Paz. I guess anything works. You can score with whatever part of the body you want. Uh, and then the second for Tucumán was bizarre as well. Uh, one of their attacking players went forward. The goalkeeper came off his line for the strongest, and he tried to chip it. It bounced onto the crossbar and then came back out. And another attacker for Tucumán Toledo would kind of like stooped down and nodded the rebound in across the line into an empty net. That gave them the 2-1 lead. They ended up holding on to that uh, to win this match 2-1. 
And as you said, Adam, absolutely haul themselves right back into contention in this group. They're now level on points with second place Peñarol. They're level on points with the strongest. So behind Libertad, the only side to have nine points in this competition, three sides sit on three points. And Tucumán still have a home match against the strongest. And the way that the strongest have played in this competition, you'd like Tucumán's chances to go and win that match. They get themselves onto six points from there. And they might be the ones who end up coming out of this group, which is just amazing. Uh, considering how, as you said, they were written off for dead. And I think rightfully so after their first two performances, which were very, very poor. Uh, but they got the result they needed. It was a historic result at that. And they're right back into this. And this is a club that just will not quit in this competition. We saw it last year with the incident in Quito where they're wearing the Argentinian youth national team jerseys as they get an away win at altitude. And then they do it again at altitude here against the strongest. Remarkable performance from them. Remarkable result for them. They are right back in this group. And, I, I mean, I don't think you can say that Peñarol or the strongest are, no pun intended, stronger than Tucumán and have the best chances to get out of this group. So I think it's wide open behind Libertad now in Group 3. The other match in that group saw Libertad keep up their 100% record with a 2-1 victory over Peñarol. Um I, I saw this one. The, the first half was, was quite end-to-end, really. Both sides had chances. But it wasn't until the second half that, that it really exploded into life. And, and especially once Peñarol opened the scoring at the beginning of the half, the Uruguayans actually looked dangerous on the counter throughout the second half of this game. And on another night, they may have won this by two or three, really. But yeah, like I say, their, their goal came via a, a counter with Gabriel Fernandez dinking one over the keeper when it looked like he had perhaps overrun it. After that, there was uh, chances for both sides. Like I say, Peñarol had a couple of chances on the counter-attack where they really could have finished this game off. And you're, and watching it as, it as it entered the last 15 minutes, you do start to wonder, you know, will they live to regret that? Uh, but Peñarol goalkeeper Dawson he made a magnificent save to keep the score at 1-0 to the away side but shortly after that Libertad got on level terms anyway with uh, Salcedo heading home a, a set piece and um, and then in the last minute of the game both sides had chances to win it but almost in kind of an identical position to where they scored indirectly the equaliser in the, in, the, in the last minute, Oscar Cardoza, the, the Paraguayan international, um, hammered home a free kick um, you know, from, from out wide. The goalkeeper, really, Dawson, sh- he should have done better, should have saved it. It was at his near post. He didn't, and yeah, Libertad have three wins out of three. So they, they look like the first team we can say is, is definitely in the, the, the knockout stages of this competition, I think. And that's not something we expected to be saying, Adam. We thought that this group was going to be level, and it really has been behind Libertad at top. But give them credit. Three wins from three is is a very solid performance. And, and as you said, they're a team that should see themselves in the next round already. So credit to them. Okay, next we go to Brazil, where Flamengo played out a 1-1 draw behind closed doors in the Maracanã against Santa Fe. Now, this was... A little bit of a shame to see, wasn't it, Simon? Um, this this match played behind closed doors because you know it it, it just doesn't feel right. A big Libertadores match like this one with no fans there to see it. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, it was something that was sorely sorely missing from the game, and I also think it would have been interesting to see how the game may have played out 
with the fans there piling on the pressure on Flamengo or possibly lifting them after a good start. You know, it, it's very interesting to see how that could have affected things because when it came down to it, uh, the game was there to be won for Flamengo, uh, but it finished with Santa Fe on top. So very, very interesting developments. So after 10, 15 minutes, I thought it might be a 7 or 8 nil win for Flamengo. Um, Santa Fe uh, rely a lot on being organized and robust and, and competitive. And for the first 20 minutes, they simply weren't. Combine that with Robinson Zapata flapping pathetically at every cross that went anywhere near his goal. It looked like this was going to be a simple, simple win for Flamengo. And they had plenty of chances early on. It was very, very simple. There was some really nice movement from Flamengo, pulling the Santa Fe defence all over the place. They were getting drawn out of position. You know, there were times where Flamengo just had to tap it into the net and they tried to square it or or they couldn't quite capitalise. You know, similar to a game we'll speak about later with Vasco, another Brazilian side, where there was a moment where they looked like they could have gone a different way. But the, they did take the lead. Uh, it was a cross. Again, it, there's no way that the goalkeeper, Robinson Sabata, should be losing out to the forward there. You know, it's right above his head and, and the forwards won it with his head in front of the goalkeeper with his hand. You know, a poor, poor uh, showing from Zapata on that particular cross and, and there will be some more throughout the night. But Santa Fe, despite struggling defensively, did look like there was something about them going forward. Um, and the goal they scored was, was a nice one. It was a burst from Anderson Plata, who is probably the most interesting player. I mean, they have Morello, who's the top goal scorer in the tournament now, and he tapped in after a burst from Plata breaking from the defence. He's got really incredible pace, Anderson Plata. Sometimes he's frustrating, and having spoken to some Santa Fe supporters, they're less impressed than I am. Obviously, they watch him week in, week out more closely than I do, and, and perhaps he's a little bit wasteful sometimes, but he's definitely the player who can make things happen, and at times he looks, looks top, top quality. And, and here it was a burst beyond the defence, Left them in, left them in his, in his wake, and then slipped one across for Morello to tap in, to put himself again, uh, extend his run as the top goal scorer in the tournament. From then on, again, Santa Fe started coming back into it, and for 20 minutes after half time, they probably had the better chances. Uh, you know, a real turnaround. Um, they got, they got themselves organised. They got back to their solid defensive work, and they, they, they were countering very well, and they were moving the ball far better than I'd seen in recent weeks. You know, in the last podcast, I said, you know, they can't control the ball and make simple passes. And while there's clearly still limitations to their game, they're not they're not the greatest technical players. They had something about them in the second half. And, and you know, while in the last 10 minutes, Flamengo piled on the pressure and there were a few more flaps by Zapata in goal. A couple of good saves as well. Uh, he's a good shot stopper, but, you know, a 38-year-old goalkeeper who can't catch is crazy to me. Um, but, yeah, you know, an excellent result away from home. A 1-1 draw for Santa Fe keeps them in the competition. They're going to have to step things up a little bit more moving into the final game. They're going to have to win at some point, right, Simon? Like, they can't just get out of the group with six points on six draws, right? <laughs> well, I mean, ideally, they'd like to like a win here and there. But, uh, you know, they're still in contention. And this this could have been the end of them if, if things had gone as it looked like they may do after 10 minutes. Um, you know, they, they'll hope to get some points at home. You know, they've got Emelec to play. Uh, you know, I think it's not over for them yet. And this was an important result for, for them with another another new manager in the dugout. Uh, the Colombians, three teams this week, all with new managers over returning from, from illness or, or, or a change in the in the by, by management. But yeah, so far, so Santa Fe, but a much more impressive performance and uh, 
And they could have snuck a win here as well, despite being completely dominated for 20, 25 minutes at the beginning. Yeah, which is absurd. The absurd thing about this match, Simon, and you hit it right on the head, is Flamengo legitimately could have been three or four up with 20 minutes gone. They looked fantastic, as good as they've played at any point in the past couple of years, it felt like. They were all over Santa Fe. They had them pushed back into the box. They were passing cleanly. The exchanges were beautiful, you know. Great runs, uh, the finish from Hiki Durado within 10 minutes. The thought was okay, get two or three, you know, get two or three early on and just go out and run and hide and take your three points from this match. But then it was just that one mistake it, that led to the good run by Plata and the finish by Morello. Diego, uh, Flamengo were looking to counter after I believe it was a set piece for Santa Fe and he just passed it backwards and it went right to Plata and then boom, Santa Fe were on it. They took their chance, they, they tied this match at one. And from there, Flamengo just didn't have it. And they did not look at all like the team they looked like in the first 20 to 25 minutes. Uh, Adam, you and I were talking pre-pod about this. Uh, that's two now home matches behind closed doors for Flamengo. I agree with both of you guys. It's a shame for the competition. Uh, but it should be noted, it's, it's a deserved punishment for the incidents at the Copa Sulamericana. Just the overall atmosphere of, of fear and tension at that match. I think Flamengo did have to be punished for that. And, and it's affecting the club. Because they've only gotten two points from their two home matches. Uh, the draw at home with River Plate. And then the draw against Santa Fe. Last year in the Libertadores, their home form nearly carried them through the group. The fact was they couldn't get anything away from home. Now they got something away from home with that win against Emelec. But they haven't gotten anything from their home matches. Uh, they fired their manager, Paulo Cesar Capesiani, after elimination in the state leagues. Uh, right now an interim manager is in charge. The young, I believe he's only 37 uh, Mauricio Barberi. Uh, there's high hopes for him, but it's hard to see him staying in charge for very long. I think Flamengo will go back to the, the managerial merry-go-round and come up with a name. Uh, disappointing for them. This should have been three points, and it wasn't. Uh, credit Santa Fe, like Simon said, for digging their way back into this match and then almost nearly winning it. Big, big match between these two sides coming up now in Bogota, the return for these two. Flamengo are top of the group on goals scored, tied on points with River Plate 5-5. They still have a home match with Emelec to come, but they still have to go to River Plate. If either Flamengo or Santa Fe can win the second of two matches between these two teams, I think you'd probably favor that side to come out second of this group with, uh, with River Plate going through first. So certainly a big match to come for these two. Just shows how massive that cameo from Vinicius Junior yeah. was against Emelec, yeah. really, doesn't right. it? Because they'd be on the verge of elimination if right. it wasn't Without, for that. I mean, they were losing that match before he came on, uh, and I didn't think he played all that well from a starting position in this match. I, you know, like most of Flamengo, I thought he was good in the first fifteen twenty minutes, and then didn't really find his footing from there. Uh, but yeah, the three points that they snagged in Guayaquil against Emelec. Yeah, without those, Flamengo sitting on two points with you know only one home match to come. So that may prove to be the reason that they end up getting out of this group if they do, in fact, end up getting out of this group. Okay, we're round up Wednesday night with Independiente 0, Corinthians 1. This game looked for, for the world to be heading for a nil-nil draw from, from what I could make out online. And, uh, and then the Brazilian champions snatched it, no, Austin? Yep, this was as Corinthians as it gets. Um, play fine, steal a goal, get a win. Uh, they did this time and time again in the Brazil Down last year. Uh, they did it to win the Sao Paulo State Championships this year. Um, 
say what you want about Fabio Carelli's side. Um, they're maybe not as talented as other sides in South America, but I don't think you'll find a side that plays more organized than they do. Um, their back line, Balbuena, the Potawayan, uh, with Enhiki, who's, who's been a good addition to that back line. Uh, Thagner at right back is just an absolute destroyer. You know, Halfie, Michael, and in front of them. Casio is infuriating to watch if you're an opposing fan, and he just lifts the heart of, of Corinthianos because he's just always, you know, flapping around, making saves, killing time. And he did that in this match against Independiente. The tactic for Corinthians lately has been, all right, we don't have a striker to replace Joe. We just won't have a striker at all. <laughs> and they did that again in this match. It's almost like they're playing a uh, 4-2-4 but those four in front all sit in the midfield, and there's no striker. It's, it's an interesting tactic. They just signed Holger from uh, Internacional. He was at Botafogo last year. Uh, could actually be the nine they're looking for, but they used that tactic again in this match, and, and they got the win late. Uh, Jadson with, I don't, I don't know how he got behind the Independiente defense, but he did, kind of headed it towards goal. Uh, Campagna could have made a save, pushed it onto a post. It ended up going in. And boom, that's all Corinthians needed to take home the 1-0 victory from this match. They're not going to blow you away with their talent, with their ability. Um, you know, there's nobody on this squad that you look at. Holdriguinho is, I think, unquestionably their most talented player. But you don't look at this team and say, oh, that guy's really good. Or he stands out. Or he's fantastic. Mateus Vital off the bench, I like as well. But it's just the collective ability that they have and the collective discipline they play with they just make it so hard to be broken down this is the exact same game plan they used to get a point in Bogota against Millonarios and here they are again and this time they get all three of the points I didn't think Independiente were bad nil nil would have been a fair result uh, they just didn't quite click in the attack like they could have this was actually an open match for periods of time which was kind of nice to see but yeah it's it's three points stolen for Corinthians. And with two home matches and a trip to Deportivo Lada still to come for Corinthians, I think you can pretty much pencil them into the knockout stage. Uh, they've yet to concede in this Copa Libertadores, which is an impressive feat. They're the only side that is yet to concede in the group stage. Uh, obviously, if they keep that up, they're, they're going to be going to good places and, and getting out of this group. Uh, Independiente, I think, are, are probably in a head-to-head -head with Milanarios for the other spot coming out of this group seven. Deportivo Lada picked up the three points against Independiente and what a crucial three points those could be because that's probably a result that Independiente will like to have back when this group comes down to it. It's going to be difficult for Independiente to get anything at the Atlanta Corinthians, uh, but they might have to uh, to kind of stand out from this Milanario side. So good performance from Corinthians. Uh, they're organized, they're disciplined, and, and they will continue to be for as long as this competition continues to go on. Yeah, and they, and they have that crucial thing as well right at the end of this match no luck yeah yeah sometimes you need it and and they've had it for the past year and you know if you're disciplined if you're organized and then you catch a couple of breaks here and there yeah you're going to be a pretty good team and that's what they are okay let's move on to thursday night and i'll come to you simon to tell us all about Racing Club 4-0 victory over Vasco da Gama. I think it's been a bit of a surprise just how poor Vasco have been so far in the group stage of this competition, given how much of an attacking unit and threat they looked um, in, the, in the first couple of rounds of this competition to get to the group stage. Uh, but it looks like they were the Argentines' latest victims. 
Yeah, and again, I think there were moments when the game could have gone another way. But when the result finishes 4-0 and they miss two penalties, um, you know, that definitely is an indication of a level of dominance. And I think Racing, you know, obviously uh, other teams have done well, but I think Racing are probably the standout team in terms of some of their quality. I think Centurion and uh, Martinez are, you know, very, very exciting, very enjoyable to watch as a pair. In terms of this game, so there was, a, a you know, three penalties in a game and all three were clumsy at best all three could have gone either way i think you know bad bad defending but you know not necessarily clear-cut fouls anyway the first penalty lisandro steps up this uh and sends it straight at the goalkeeper um straight down the middle uh and then after the penalty vasco had three or four chances you know, Racing had, you know, it was kind of end-to-end to begin with. And after the penalty miss, it kind of gave Vasco a bit more impetus in the game. And they had a few chances to kind of, you know, to to, to get back into it. Wellington missed a, an open goal as he slid across to try and tap it in, but he couldn't quite get a toe on it. There were other times where they were through on goal and they would turn and pass it somewhere else. You know, a real lack of you know, clinical finishing, similar to the Flamengo game at points from Vasco. But as soon as the, the the goal went in, Centurion fired one into the to the net. Really nice finish uh, after a little bit of intricate play. They spread it out wide to Centurion on the right foot, sent it into the top corner after 30 minutes, and and Racing were well one nil ahead. From then, Racing started to gradually take more and more control. In the first 20 minutes, at points they looked a little bit like the away team. Really, they they weren't really dominating possession, but. Uh, once they took, they got that goal. It settled the nerves. The penalty would miss, was missed, was a bit of a knock, but they got back into it. Uh, Martinez towed in a, a cross from Centurion to slid one into the net on 40 minutes, uh, and just before half time, again another soft penalty, somewhat um, kind of a shoulder to shoulder. Martinez went down. Lisandro Lopez steps up, and it was slightly better. <laughs> it wasn't straight in the middle, but it was very narrowly to the right and perfect height and the keeper saved it again um and then yeah you know Racing were in control at this point as Zaracho rounds the goalkeeper and and puts one in off the post a nice finish showing some good pace and then uh the final goal was again another penalty Centurion beats his man on the on the wing gets kind of it's one of those ones where the goal the defender's trying to shoulder the the, the attacker away from the ball but he kind of misses it and there's a bit of a a bit of coming together and a bit clumsy and ends up being given as a penalty Lisandro Lopez steps up for the third time in the night um and I think there was a stat on the on Twitter which was interesting that this is uh Racing missed more penalties in the first half than they have in the full history of the club in the Copa Libertadores well Lisandro Lopez had the balls to step up again and this time he scored, thanked the crowd for their support. Everyone was very happy that he got that one that one away and, and got that jinx off his back. And uh, yeah, all around an excellent, another goal-scoring performance by Racing. Uh, Centurion, Martinez, Zaraccio. There's a lot of interesting things in this side. And I think they're the one team that has been really enjoyable to watch. Goals flying in. Potentially, you know, there's been they've conceded quite a few in previous games and they could have conceded two or three in this one as well. But uh all in all, an excellent home performance and a, and a very comfortable 4-0 win with two penalties missed. Simon, a quick note from Tom Robinson, who would like for me to point out uh, Lissandro Lopez, more like Lissandro no pens. Get it? Because yep. the penalties? Yeah. <laughs> there you go, Tom. Uh, that one's for you. 
<laughs> you have to think, Simon, that had this match not been 3-0, they would not have let Lopez take the third penalty, right? Uh, yeah, definitely. And, and you know, captain, give it to him. And, uh, you know, it, at least the headline isn't the guy who missed two penalties. I mean, it could have been the guy who missed three penalties, and that would have been uh, even worse. But uh, fortunately, he put it away, and, uh, yeah, you can, you can put that story to bed and move on to the next one. Okay, and the other match in this group saw Universidad de Chile draw nil-nil with Cruzeiro, and that was a match I attended. Um, Lou came into this match under a lot of pressure, actually, given their 3-1 home defeat to Colo-Colo in the Chilean Super Classico on Sunday. Um, in that game, they uh, taken an early lead, and then really they completely imploded. Um, I, don't, I, I suspect many of our listeners may have already seen this on uh, on social media, but there was a... There was a fight between teammates Mauricio Bonilla and Jean Bossier, the two Chilean internationals, um, sort of going at it, really. Um, both attempted to headbutt each other. Arguably, Bonilla could have been sent off as well as Bossier. Bossier uh, was already um, walking off the pitch at that point anyway. Um, but yeah, there was a mixed reaction to that, I would say, um, among among the Lou fans, um, from listening to radio and overhearing some conversations in the stadium uh, last night, I think the more level-headed Lou fans want want that issue resolved with Bossier being welcomed back into the fold. And and he was certainly one of the players I felt that Lou missed um, in, in, in this game against Cruzeiro last night. Um, the performance in the match, well, you know, it wasn't terrible by any means, but, you know, Lou and the match, they never really caught fire like they had done in their previous two matches um, in this group. I thought Lou were especially guilty of playing too safe in the, in the first half. When they did attack, they didn't quite get enough players forward. I was actually quite high up in the stands, and it was really clear to see from there what Lou's problems were. And, and, and the main issue really was that David Pizarro, uh, their, their centre midfielder, deep playmaker, he, he just wasn't, um, he, he he just wasn't getting forward enough to support those attackers. You know, at his age, that's, that's no big surprise. But it, for me, it was clear to see that they that they needed somebody who could support their front three of front three of Pania, um with uh, Saltero and uh, Arreos playing sort of just off of um, Binia. Uh, but yeah, they, they needed they needed more support, and, and sometimes that comes from from the wing backs. And, and when Bossier plays, he's obviously you know one of the best in South America for that, I would say. And um, and and with him missing, there wasn't enough support either through the middle, like I just said, with Pizarro not getting forward, nor on the wings with Bossier missing. So yeah, there was a, there was two major problems there for Lou. The guy next to me in the stadium spent the whole first half slagging off uh, Jefferson Saldado, which I wasn't too happy about. Um, and I found it a bit odd, really, because I felt that it, of all the Lou players, he was the one really trying to make something happen. Um, Areos, who we've been big on so far here on the World Football Index during this competition, wasn't quite as effective as he as he had been against Vasco or Racing. But he did show his class and intelligence on the ball often. I think perhaps his issue is that he needs to come become a bit stronger and a bit braver in possession from seeing him for the first time in the stadium. So yeah, I think 
Saltado was was the one. If anybody on this lose side could have made something happen, he showed some lovely skills in the second half. But Lou very well could have lost this match, um, especially when uh, youngster Nico Guerra came on around the hour mark to give Lou more bodies up front. Guerra is a talented striker, um, but that move did leave them more exposed. Um, but they were missing the extra man in midfield. And Cruzeiro missed them, or, or you could say messed up, three or four really decent counter-attacks. But there was one where they completely uh, messed it up, where they had basically a five-on-two situation. So, yeah, Lou, towards the end, I think Guerra actually had a pretty decent chance to win it. But in the end, nil-nil was fair. Neither team really did enough to win it. And, uh, and like I said, you know, when I reviewed their match against Racing, I do feel that Lou may regret not pushing for a winner more. You know, now they have their two hardest fixtures to come uh, with, with Cruzeiro away and, uh, next week and then Racing away next month. Uh, and they finish off with Vasco at home, which is certainly looking a very winnable match. Um, and they're on five points at the moment. So they should get to eight if they if they did beat Vasco in that last match. But I think they probably have to avoid defeat against either Cruzeiro or or or, or um, Racing to to come through this group. But it does seem that goals, um, like many sides in this competition, are a bit of an issue for Lou. Um, Austin, I was kind of more concentrating on 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 the Chilean side in this. I. I Although I have to say I wasn't particularly impressed with Cruzeiro, you know there, there was there was um, there was a couple of decent performances. Probably their best player on the night um, was uh, uh, Lucas Silva, um, and and it was it was it he who hit the bar? Yep, yeah, the number sixteen. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, he he was probably their most impressive performer performer on the night. I was quite surprised actually when he when he got taken off, um, but. But yeah, I, I was I was quite disappointed with with how they did um, during the night. A lot of bad decision making, especially in the final third in that second half when they when they had chances to win it. Um, but yeah, uh, what did you make of their performance? That they're still they're still struggling for form, no? Yeah, yeah, not a lot to add on to what you said. Um, I think the thinking around the Cruzeiro side was when they turned around their state league final against Atlético Mineiro, they lost the first leg three one but then won the second leg uh, to end up lifting that title, that maybe that would be enough to kind of kick them on. Um, they didn't start the Brasile down very well. They got beat at home by Gremio. And then this performance, as you said, just didn't quite do enough here. Lucas Silva was actually a surprising starter for Cruzeiro. He didn't play at the weekend against Gremio. Uh, he's a player who actually was signed by Real Madrid and then loaned back to Cruzeiro after he didn't really stick with the Spanish Giants. Yeah, he hit the bar. That was probably the best chance Cruzeiro had. I'm always impressed by Gia Hascaeta in the midfield. I thought he had some moments here for Cruzeiro. He, he came close to scoring on a couple of occasions. But yeah, they didn't do enough to win this match. I, I would agree with you. I don't necessarily think either side did enough to win this match. And this sets up another one of those huge kind of need-it-to-stay-in-the-competition matches for Cruzeiro um, when they host Lau in, in the comeback between these two. Uh, a point from Lau would make it hard for Cruzeiro to get out of the group. A win would make it just about impossible. So that's a match that Cruzeiro are going to need. And I think that's one that, that we'll definitely be looking forward to uh, when these two teams get together soon. Indeed, it's probably the match I'm most looking forward to seeing next week. 
Uh, right, okay. Moving on to Junior's 2-0 victory in Lima against Alianza Lima. Uh, this was a really important and big result for the Colombians who, who have given themselves a bit of hope to perhaps cause a shock and get out of this group, no, Simon? Yeah, potentially. Um, Junior, again, another 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 month, another coach. They've had six coaches in the last two years. Uh, Camisano, uh three times now. Uh, Alexis Mendoza twice. Gio, uh, Giovanni Hernandez, Alberto Gamero. Um, they really get through their coaches uh, and they have their latest uh, to took control of this game. Um, the game, I think, well, Teofilo Gutierrez was injured and I think in some ways that kind of simplified things a little bit for Junior because, you know, as we've seen, they have so many players occupying the same area of the field that it, it kind of stifles and makes it quite easy to defend. If everyone's playing as an attacking midfielder, then, you know, it means that you just have to clog up that area and get ready to win the ball and break away as quickly as possible against the two remaining midfielders, uh, Candijo and Pico, who are very good. But, you know, they've got to cover the entirety of the, the midfield on their own. So in this game without Teofilo Gutierrez, they played uh, Diaz, who's a, a young winger. He, he came in for probably replacing um, Johnny Gonzalez, who, who's a decent player, a good all-round player. But Pete, uh, Diaz has a bit more pace and a bit more directness, 21-year-old winger, um, a junior. He, was, he had a good game. He was dangerous at times. Chara coming in from the right, hand, right wing. And Hernandez, who is an attacking midfielder, is a, is a number 10, but also drops back a little bit more, is a bit more comfortable playing in the middle, uh, as opposed to the likes of Chada, who would rather operate closer to the forward or would drift wide or, or you know, isn't necessarily uh, consistent in his positioning. Very effective player, very good player, but you, you know where Hernandez is going to be when you need him, a little bit more than uh, Teofilo. Uh, they went with Ruiz up front, and, well, the first goal was was typical Ruiz. I think in this game, the two goals came from the two number nines that Junior have, and they both typify the, the style of play of the, the, the respective players. Uh, Ruiz bustling, bundling, you know, up against a couple of defenders, pushing them aside, got a shot off, hit the post, hit a defender, and then it broke and uh, Chadwell was there to nod it home into an empty net. The second goal was a, a slip-through ball with a really sharp, you know, curved run from Alves who ran onto it and slid it under the goalkeeper so I kind of both typify the options that Junior have as a number nine you know Ruiz is limited but but hard working and a, and a big presence whereas Alves is a bit more classy you know rangy pacey some sharper movement you know personally I can see the value in Alves but you know Ruiz in this occasion did contribute to the first goal in an effective manner so a good win, a good win away from home. Um, they scored relatively early and then they scored relatively late. There was that awkward bit in the middle where they had to defend, but all in all, uh, a very, very important away win. You know, I think on paper, Junior are significantly better than Alianza Lima, but many, many times this year, Junior haven't got anywhere near uh, the level that they should be. And I still think there's questions. You know, they've changed their manager so often. They've got a load of really good attacking players. It's very difficult to incorporate all of them. Jalen Barrera was on the bench, didn't get on this game. He's a very interesting player. So there's, it's a very difficult job, you know, as a manager. You've got, you've got to choose your team and there's always the, 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 the difficulties of balancing off the best tactical approach and the best players. And well, for Junior to play their best tactics, for me, they have to leave some of their best players on the bench. But that said, an away win, something 
you know, with a very predominantly attacking side, had a little bit more balance about Teofilo Gutierrez. There's no way he's getting dropped. But you can see here that perhaps a little bit more, you know, a compromise in the in the approach, you know, maybe could help him out in the future. But yeah, excellent win. We'll see what happens. But they're they're still in with a shout now after after this result. Okay, um, we'll finish our roundup of the uh, of, of 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 these matches with River Plate's one 0 victory over Emelec. It's been a really disappointing campaign for Emelec so far, um, and after a poor start to 2018 for the River, it looks like they're suddenly picking up some form. And this is a crucial win for the Argentine Giants. No, Austin? Yeah, picking up form, I think, makes this performance sound better than it was. But look, a win's a win, especially away from home. And, and give River Plate credit for that. Uh, I don't watch River Plate very often. I tweeted this out last night. But it just baffles me that one Fernando Quintero doesn't get into this team more. Left as an unused substitute on the bench. Just seems like every match is just waiting around for him to come in. Um, they didn't bring him in and they, they did enough to get a win. But at some point in this competition, you have to think Quintero is going to start for River and he's going to make a difference. Um, that being said... You know, credit River Plate for doing enough to win this match. Uh, I think a lot of the reason they won this match is because of Franco Armani in goal. He's been a great signing for them. You know, we knew he was a great keeper, and, and he's shown it for River Plate. He had he had a couple of big saves. I denied De Jesus early on in this match, one on one. Then had another big save later on, one on one to deny another attack opportunity for Emelec. Um, said it before, going to say it again. He should be in the Argentina World Cup squad. There shouldn't be a debate. End of story. Uh, Pinola got the goal here for River Plate. Uh, kind of just flapped at it and put it towards goal, and it kind of just rolled in with no chance for Dreyer, the MLS goalkeeper. I wasn't particularly impressed with River, but this is a big three points for them. They've still got uh, two home matches to come in this group. You have to like their chances to get three points again against MLS in the home leg. And then from there, they're probably going to have enough to get out of this group. So this was three points that's going to help them in group four. It's tough to see Emelec doing a whole lot in this group down the stretch. Um, they got a point away to Santa Fe. Everybody gets a point away to Santa Fe. They threw away the lead against Flamengo. As big as those three points were for, for Flamengo, they'll be as big lost for Emelec. Not a lot of standout performances from them on the night. I didn't think either of these teams played pretty well, uh, but Pinola got the goal for River Plate, and that was enough to give them the win. So they're the favorites to come out of this group five, or group four, I should say. Uh, tough to see them like doing a whole lot, especially given the performance that they put in in this match. Okay, um, well, I think that rounds us up then for this week. I'd, I'll come straight back to you, Austin, to see if you have anything to plug. Yeah, I'm on Twitter at Austin underscore James 906. I believe since the last time we did a podcast, my big Brazilian down preview uh, was published on the World Football Index. That season has started, but there's still plenty of good information in there. So if you're looking for information about the Brazilian down this year, be sure to check that out. Um, I think that's the only plug we've got. Should be some new Scouting Spotlight podcasts coming soon. Simon was actually a guest on, on those, so keep an eye for that. Uh, and there should be some more down the line as we kind of transition into profiling some players you could see uh, be big for South American sides at the World Cup. So certainly keep a lookout for that. Follow me on Twitter. Uh, and as always, be sure to um, follow the World Football Index on Twitter too for all the latest from us. Are there any predictions in there that you're already getting nervous about having seen the first round of action? 
No, no, it's Brazil, man. That's a long season. I'm all right. I'm good. I'm good. I'm okay. Okay. And uh, I come across to Simon as well. Uh, well, yeah, I appeared on those Spotlight podcasts uh, and, yeah, Twitter at Simon Edwards SAF. There's a few things I've been wanting to do, but I've been pretty lazy. So maybe this weekend I'll get to them and, and check my Twitter for some updates on some stuff. <laughs> Simon's got some new that's, that's the kind of commitment we love here at the World Football <laughs> <laughs> Hey, Simon got some new football uh, boots. some good ideas. And decided to tweet yeah, about them during boots. the podcast, so... <laughs> Yeah, you can see those. Yeah, but I was listening, you know. It, yeah. That wasn't making any noise. Really really living up to your luxury number 10 status <laughs> there. <laughs> uh, as for me, you can find me at AdamBrandon84 on Twitter. Um, at the moment, I've actually got um, one piece a day going up on the site as, as we count, count down to Russia 2018 with uh, with my World Cup 90 minutes countdown with um, with a goal correlating to the minute and the day. So we'll be back next week to review another round of action. It's just left for me to thank the guys for joining me today and also to our listeners for choosing this podcast once again or for the first time. Uh, so, so goodbye. <laughs> There's an ending in there somewhere. <laughs> <laughs>